Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. As the song says, glory be to our great God. Lord, this is all for you. Lord, this is our form of worship. This morning as we open your word, I just pray that you would continue to move within our hearts this morning and as we go from here. And so we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Good morning, Mercy Hill. It is an honor and it is a privilege to be with you this morning um, and to bring the Word of God to you this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Matt Beachy. Uh, I am a pastoral intern, have been the past several years at Mercy Hill. Um, that's about it. Don't have much else I want to tell you about myself, so we'll leave it at that. Uh, this morning, what we're going to do, if you've been following along with us in our Bible reading plan, for those of you who don't know, we have a Bible reading plan. Um, you can grab them. I think there's some on the back table there. We read one chapter, excuse me, for the week, and then on Sundays we preach about that exact same chapter. There's some journaling that goes with it. Um, if you've been following along, this week has us in the book of Judges uh, 6. Now, why we decided after coming out of Thessalonians... Uh, go back into Judges, I do not know. I do know this, the other option was Leviticus. And so the elders decided to not heed my advice of Leviticus and take us into Judges, and so here we are. Now this morning, uh, what we're going to do is mildly different than what normally I would do when uh, preaching. Instead of reading entirely this chapter uh, to start it off, we're going to kind of give a running commentary as we go. I'm going to give you some context. We wanted to have some context. Context is obviously very important when we're reading in the narrative. Um, so I'm going to start us off and give us some context. And then we will get into the actual word and we will read certain parts as we go. But we're not going to read all 40 verses initially. That would take us forever and we are not going to make us do that. So a little bit of context as we start off um, in Judges 6. We want to look back a little bit. Um, up to this point in the book of Judges, um, we have met uh, three judges uh, previously. Uh, today we're going to meet our fourth judge. Um, and it's important for us to kind of understand those judges and how they contrast from today when we talk about Gideon. Um, and so what we're doing is in chapter 6, we're reaching sort of this pivot point in the story of Judges. Now, we're only going to get to Judges 9 in the reading plan this year, um, which is the end of Gideon, but you would see this as it goes on. There's this pivot point that's happening in chapter 6 that's important to note. So, some contrast between the previous three Judges and Gideon today that we'll, we'll read about. Um, so, we had the first Judge was Anthoniel, and then uh, he was, um, there's very little that we know about him other than that he was called. He went and delivered the people, and then there was 40 years of peace. And then we had Ehud, who we knew was the uh, left-handed Benjamite, again, a great warrior. But there wasn't a whole lot about him that we knew. He was called, he delivered people, and then we went on with him. And then there was Barak, 
excuse me, and Deborah, Deborah was the prophetess at that time. And there was a little bit of hesitation uh, when she told him that he was going to deliver Israel, but ultimately still did that. We don't know a whole lot else about his call. And what we see, excuse me, is there's some similarities that all three of these judges have, and then very different things that we know about Gideon, and then we'll look at Gideon. Um, I don't know what's going on. Sorry. Yeah, if I could have water, that'd be super. Uh, so we have these three judges previously. We know very little bit about them. There is no sort of, they all are left in a good light. They all are seen as great warriors. They come in, they do their job, people leave, uh, and they live in peace. So we have these great warriors. One of the other commonalities that we'll see from them is that they never actually get a direct visit from an angel of the Lord. So we see, as we'll read about here in a little bit, Gideon did get a direct um, visit from, thank you very much. from the angel of the Lord. We'll talk about why that's important. But we also don't ever get a serious story about their call, right? So the previous judges, you're only getting a, about a chapter, half chapter of what happened. Gideon's story is going to be divided out, and so there's going to be broken down into uh, three different chapters. And what we're going to see is as time passes from the time of Joshua... Joshua passed away in the first of Judges, and now we've moved on, is that the actual character of the Judges is becoming less and less savory, as you would say it. Uh, They're becoming more and more uh, sinful, uh, where at the beginning, right right after Joshua, they're very seen as the good guys. And now what we have is a more of a focus in on the story of Gideon. So one of the things that we're going to note here in chapter 6 is there's a, a shift in the narrative. Um, we change the structure from this sort of broad view of people had turned away from the, the Israel, had turned away from God, did what, he, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them over. He sent a judge, they were delivered. And we have this cycle sort of repeating but now it's, we're going to focus in on the individuals who are going to be delivering um, the people of Israel. And so with that, one of the things that's always important to note as we read in the narrative story is who is going to be the hero of the story. It is very common for people um, to want a hero. In your Bibles, there's the, like the headings before you go. It says... The first, it's Midian, then Gideon. Oftentimes, people expect them to be the heroes. That is not the actual case. In this story, we are going to learn more about the faithfulness of God. We're going to learn more about how God is very intense about his worship. We're going to learn more about his deliverance. And he is going to continue to be the hero of this story. I want to make sure this is very clear, that whenever you read anything, and this is not just to this chapter, this is to anything that you read in this book, that God is always going to be the hero of every single story. There's not one individual man in this book who is going to be the hero of anything. God is ultimately the hero of this story in, in Gideon's life, but he is throughout the history of, his, of this Bible. 
of the Bible. And then it also begs the question then, that also often comes up with something like that is, that I would ask you or challenge you is, who is it that you want to be the hero in your own life? So as humans, we are often by nature focused on ourselves. We want to do things and we want to somehow reach a certain level of status. We want to reach a certain level of stature. However, that being said, the question at the end of all of this is in the end of my life, at the end of your life, who do you want to say is going to be your hero? Was I the hero of my story? Am I the one that delivered myself? Or is it God? Is he the deliverer of my story? And so we see this in the story and we have Gideon and we see his first weakness. The author makes it very clear what Gideon's weakness is. It is his fear, right? And so in spite of his fear, the Lord is still going to call him. The Lord is still going to use him. We could say that there is a divine calling. And that's where we're going to start, is with this idea of Gideon is going to have this divine calling. Um, so let's read, let's start reading uh, in verse 11. So like I said, the Midianites are currently oppressing. Um, we see the same cycle start in verse 1. It says the people of Israel did was... Uh, did what was evil inside of the Lord, and the Lord gave him over to the hands of Midian for seven years. So we have the same cycle that we just got over. The Lord sent a prophet um, who rebukes the people of Israel, and then we pick it up in verse 11. It says this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the, under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Bizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out in the winepress, uh, beating out wheat in the winepress, to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then have, uh, has, all these, has all this happened to us? And where are your wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us into the land of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might, of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he, and he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Uh, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that, uh, a sign that is that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come and bring out my uh, present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. We're going to go until 24. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and 11 cakes in uh, an ephah of flour. And the meat was put into a basket and the broth put into a pot and brought them to take him under the terabith and present it to him. And the Lord and the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock. Pour out the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out uh, the tip of his staff that was at his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the fire sprang from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And Gideon perceived that he, that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord 
face to face. But the Lord said, Peace to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there in the Lord, uh, to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, uh, which belongs to the Bizarites. Gideon has a divine calling. He has an experience with the Lord himself. So anytime you read in the Old Testament where it says, the angel of the Lord and not an angel of the Lord. We know we call this a theophany, which is uh, a term that is like a, it means it's a pre-incarnate Christ. It means the Lord himself is how he's presented to the, to the individual. So we have this in Exodus um, before. There are several different times throughout the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord has presented himself um, to, to an individual he's called. And so it's just one of those things, want to make sure we're clear with that. So I think it's important for us to look at a little bit just about what kind of man was Gideon. Uh, in verse 11, we see that he is fearful. He is a man who is hiding um, from the Midianites, trying to um, beat out the wheat. Uh, he's hiding himself in a wine press. He lives in fear. Um, he is also an unbelieving man um, in that his faith is less, uh, not, uh, not believing. Yeah. Um, in verse, sorry, my eyes are, in 17 it says, and he asked him, um, so we, we see that he's in need of a sign. We need a sign of what's going on. So we have this man who is fearful. He's not believing. He's He's met, with the, met by an angel who says, O mighty man of valor. And his response is, why are bad things happening to us? And so we have this sort of fearful man. But yet the Lord is going to call him divinely and he is going to use him. Now throughout the history of time, the Lord has used um, people of lesser status. Right? So if you think about Moses back in Exodus, Moses was, had just murdered a man and then ran away from Egypt and then was called by the Lord. Moses struggled to speak publicly, so the Lord provided Aaron for him to speak for him. In Exodus 1, there, is, uh, there are two midwives, uh, Shipra and Pua, who were ordered by Pharaoh to kill all of the young Egyptian men and boys who were born. Yet the Lord used these midwives to uh, protect the, Israelite, the Israelites, which would then produce Moses from that. Abraham. Who was Abraham? Abraham was a nomad out of nowhere. Yet the Lord came to him and called him and then created and, big, and made a nation out of him. Right? It is very clear that the Lord delights in raising up a humble people. Those who are less than have our weaknesses and have our struggles. The Lord delights because in that moment where we are weakest, it allows for Him to make us strong. Which ultimately, in the end, allows our worship to be greater for Him. Because as I said earlier, the Lord is very intentional about His worship. And so... 
we see this um, through the author here exposing Gideon's weakness early on is that he was a fearful man, right? Yet the Lord continued to use him. So, excuse me. There is a parallel here to be drawn, and I want to make it very clear. This is a disclaimer. As you read a narrative throughout the Bible, the narratives are there for us to learn from. But please, brothers and sisters, do not think that you or I or anybody here are Gideon. There are things we can learn from Gideon in his nature, and that's fine in the things he does. But the story is not about us putting ourselves in into the story. I know sometimes that that happens because it's like, yeah, I can really relate and that's fine. There are things we can learn, but it's just my disclaimer. So, um, in the same way, however, we are all called to do certain things. We are all called, first and foremost, to repent of our unbelief, but we are also called to go and do things. Like Gideon was called to go and do things. Yet, um, excuse me, Gideon's initial response and our initial response, I would assume, can oftentimes be very the same, or be the same, which is um, we have an excuse as to why we, sh- why it's not the right time for me to go do something, right? We always have some form of excuse as to why we don't have to obey. We always struggle to feel qualified, or we feel like we don't have the skill, or we're not good enough to go and do something. I will tell you this, brothers and sisters, where you are weak, he is strong. And where you are scared, he is bold. And where you lack faith, his faith is steadfast. And where you struggle with sin, he can deliver us from that sin. So if you're waiting to um, be good enough or have everything be ready before you decide to follow the Lord, I promise you that day will never come because you will never feel that way. It is in spite of that you are still called. Because it allows him to show where he is more than we are. Which ultimately then increases our worship to him. It creates a greater sense of thankfulness for his calling us. So I want to, we're going to continue on here. Uh, Has everybody here, maybe not, I want to be like... Flying, right? I hate doing it. Uh, just a disclaimer, but essentially, if you haven't ever flown, let me give you a rundown. When you're sitting on the plane, before you take off, security people coming through the aisle, or not security, uh, what are they called? Um, stewardess, thank you. Stand in the aisle, and they will go through like the safety things, right? And in the safety things, they will tell you there's this part that comes where like, if we lose air pressure in the cabin, these masks will drop down, and put yours on first before you help ever debate, like someone beside you that's struggling, right? Because you need to make sure that you're breathing properly before they do, right? Okay. So, in the same way, actually, the Lord does something very similar to Gideon. So if we read, in verse, uh, starting in verse 25, uh, it says this. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old. 
Pull down the altar of Baal that uh, your father has cut down, the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here uh, with the stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and pull and, and offer it a burnt offering to the, uh, with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants uh, Ten men of his servants and did what the Lord told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. There is a sense here, so context, context, important. Gideon's own father was the leader of the Baal cult within his group of people here. Before Gideon could ever go and deliver anybody, the Lord made so that his, his house was taken care of. Right? And as we read later on, when the, when the men of the town come and they say, hey, you know, give us Gideon so that we may kill him, his father actually then rebukes them. And, and, and I don't know if there's, there's a change of heart in his father for what his son did as a reminder of, uh, of the Lord. I don't know what it is. It doesn't really tell us about that. But there is a sense that it had to be taken care of at home before he could go and deliver all of Israel. Right? He had to deliver his family first before it could go out. Uh, we have all been divinely called to do many different things. I don't know what each person here's individual calling is, but I will tell you this, 100% without a shadow of doubt, we've all been divinely called to repent of our unbelief. Before we can do anything else, we must first repent of our unbelief. And we must acknowledge that that is a sin that we struggle with, and we must do it daily. Before we can call others to do it, we ourselves must first do this. We must first rid ourselves of the idols within our heart. So in this case, there was a, a physical idol in Baal's home. But we must uh, eradicate those idols within our hearts before we can truly go out and do what the Lord has called us to do. So, a couple things how we do that. We must know and we must faithfully remain within this word. We must be in the word of God. We must uh, commune with the Father in prayer. And we must recognize that apart from Him, we are capable of absolutely nothing. And this is our truest form of worship, which is what God wants us to be doing, is to be worshiping Him. Repenting of our unbelief and pursuing after Him. Because we've all been divinely called. And we all must uh, directly obey what He has for us. So we've all been called and we're repenting, now what? Right? We can't just leave it hanging with what's next. Um, as we read, so let's pick it up in verses, uh, starting in verse 28. It says, When the men of the town arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on him, offered uh, on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, son of Joash, has done this thing. 
Then the men went down, men of town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all, to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends uh, for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam. Um, that is to say, let Baal contend against him because he has broken down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came uh, together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet of the Abyssalites and called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh, and they too were called and followed him. And he sent uh, messengers to Asherah, uh, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. That was a lot. I apologize. But um, part of our calling is to obey the Lord. We are called first to repent, and then we are called to something more, something on top of that. In Gideon's weakness, despite his weakness, the Lord provided strength for him to to clean out his house and then protected him from what he feared. And it doesn't say, and it says there um, in verse 34, so it says, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. So we could also say in other translations it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, right? This is, this is a marked point where the Spirit of God become, comes in and indwells Gideon at this point of the story, right? And so in the same way, once we have repented of our unbelief and that Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit now, comes and it lives within us, in the same way we are to obey and continue to follow what He calls us to do. So today, we may not experience the same type of oppression that Gideon experienced from the Midianites. Maybe not necessarily a physical oppression. Um, no one's coming and stealing your crops or our crops at harvest time. No one is threatening to kill us physically, right? We don't have that. But we do live in a space and time where we experience quite the mental and spiritual oppression uh, that I don't know, they don't, at least don't write about in here, but we are in the midst of a spiritual war. I think it's not too diabolical to say that. The Lord says we don't fight flesh and blood, but uh, principalities. Our oppression comes oftentimes, at least in our context, in the name of our own freedom. It, things have been set up now for you to do what makes you happiest, right? Or do what makes you feel the best. At in and of itself can be oppressing because it's not necessarily physically oppressing. But if I'm doing what my sinful desires are, I'm spiritually oppressing myself. We continue to degenerate 
the further away that we get from the Lord. You see, Gideon destroyed this physical idol, and again, we must cast out the physical idol or the, the spiritual idols in our hearts. Colossians 3 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Romans 1 20 uh, starts out with, or 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, uh, give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they were fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling the mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Galatians 4 says this in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know your God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak, uh, weak and worthless elementary principles of the world who slaves, you, uh, who, insla- who slaves you want to be once more? You know, obedience comes when we understand that it is by grace that we are saved and it is by grace that we can serve the Lord. Again, I'll say that one more time. It is by grace that we are saved and it is by grace that we are allowed to serve the Lord. It is by grace that we repent and it is by grace that we will spend eternity with the Lord. And this is why we obey Him. We strive to obey not out of duty, again, out of worship. Obedience to the Lord is worship. The Lord is very serious about His worship. And it is a privilege that we get to obey the Lord. So, for example, several years ago, my youngest brother was married, and he asked me to be his best man. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been a best man at a wedding, but it is a privilege to be asked to do that, but it also comes with responsibilities. I don't do the response, so you have to, so even leading up to the wedding responsibilities, day of wedding responsibilities are much more intense than that of leading up to it because all the problems or things that need to be solved on that day are on your shoulders because the groom and bride this is their day so you want them to have a great day so you absorb that stress and solve all the problems and then on top of that you have to like create this um, this earth-shattering speech that you have to give in a room full of 400 people it's, an, it's a five-minuter, but it better be earth-shattering, right? Again, these are, you, these are responsibilities, but they are a privilege that you get to do them, right? I'm not doing them as a chore. I'm happily doing them because I've been, it's an honor to be asked to be in this position. In the same way, it is a privilege that we get to serve Jesus, It is a privilege that we get to pursue after him. It is by grace that we've been saved, which means we didn't deserve any of it. And he then says, okay, and obey me. It's not a chore that we have to obey him. 
It is a privilege that we have as believers in Christ that we get to obey Him. So the question becomes, what do I do? So we are called to divine, we are called to repent of our unbelief. Yes, okay, now what? What did Jesus say? What was Jesus' entire ministry devoted to? What, did he, what was the last thing he told his disciples before he left? I'll tell you. In Matthew 28, it says this. Now, even, no, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go and make disciples. Jesus' life was devoted to discipleship. His ministry was devoted to discipleship. It was the last thing he said while he was on earth, was to go and make disciples. One of the things that is, uh, I'm very grateful for at Mercy Hill is our intentionality with discipleship. So I'm going to put a little bit of a plug in here. If you want to continue to, if you want to obey and you want to be discipled so that you can then disciple, because we all need to be discipled. It's very, yes. But you cannot disciple those unless you have not yourself been discipled. Again, you have to clean your own house out before you can help somebody else. One of the things that we're very intentional about here is discipleship. So, little plug. Matt Rao, in the back. Brad Frakowski, right there. We have an entire website, and on it is... I want to be discipled. There's a whole little tab right there. You fill out a form. We will partner you with people who are mature in the faith, who can walk with you and disciple you so that you can go and make disciples. That's our obedience. That is the call. We have to be proactive about it, and we have to contend for people's minds and for people's hearts. It is very obvious that the world... All of evil is very intentional about contending for the hearts and minds of people. If we don't do that also, then surely we will... It will look very much like the judges cycle, right? The judges, the book of Judges is how not to do discipleship, right? Because... 40 years of, of peace, we haven't discipled the next generation. And they haven't discipled the next generation. We have to be intentional about our discipleship. And we cannot let the doubt of, well, I'm not that biblically literate. I'm not a good reader. Whatever, whatever excuse you have not to do it, I promise you, is not an excuse at all. Because once you can do it, and the Lord will get you through that, again, it intensifies our worship to Him, which is what He wants.
We have the privilege of serving a living God and obeying Him. My goodness, let us not waste it. Because finally, at the end, there will be deliverance. Once you realize that the Lord has divinely called us to repentance in spite of our shortcomings, and we understand the privilege it is to obey Him by creating disciples, and we will begin to trust Him for our dynamic deliverance. Gideon struggled with fear and unbelief. The Lord continually delivered him. And next week, and Jonas, Brother Jonas is out here, he'll, he, will tell, he will talk to you more about how he delivered him and what he did. But the Lord delivers Gideon in, these con- in this context. It's, it's always interesting. We always like to read these narratives and we look back and say, like, duh. Right? Like, it's so easy to read that. And I think of this, this call. Gideon meets the angel of the Lord. He sees fire from a rock consume the meat and the unleavened cakes. Yet, even after this, after he destroys Baal and his, the, the idol, we read in verse 36, what does he ask for again? From 36 to the end of the chapter, it says this, Gideon said to God, if, uh, if you will save Israel by my hands, as, I have, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on the ground, then I, shall come, then I shall know you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And, and it was so. And he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece and wrung it, uh, wrung it enough dew out of the fleece to fill a bowl with water. And Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and the ground was dew. Even after seeing that, flame from a rock consuming, just flame from the rock itself, you would think, but there is still this unbelief, there is still this doubt. In spite of all of that, the Lord still used Gideon to fulfill his promise to continue to deliver Israel. Gideon continued to be fearful even when the Lord continued to give him signs. Where we are weak, he is strong. The Father's patience and His mercies know absolutely no bounds. The Lord's mercies are renewed every day and His grace is sufficient. Lamentations 3 says this, 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says uh, my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. If you haven't at this point in your life, brothers and sisters, I would ask that you repent of your unbelief. Put your hope in Christ. Call upon him to deliver you. It is a privilege that we get to serve this God. The only living God. Our faith is not in ourselves, but rather our faith is in our deliverance. He is patient and we must be diligent. We must humble ourselves to the will of God. He is mighty and He will deliver us. We trust Him completely and utterly for our deliverance. Two things I want to just go back to the text. One, when we go back to the call in verses 11 through 18. And Gideon gives all the reasons why he shouldn't be able to do this. I am the least, so my, my father's clan is the least in the land, and I am the least in my father's clan, basically. So you have the weakest man in the weakest group in this tribe. But I want you to look in verse 16. And he said, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. If the Lord is with us, brothers and sisters, he will deliver us. He will be sufficient in every way that we need him. And then, one more little uh, metaphor here. It's a sidebar type thing, but I think it's relevant. We see Gideon go and prepare a goat. For the, for the angel of the Lord. And he brings the goat and he brings the, the unleavened cakes and he brings the broth. And he gives it to the Lord and hoping that it would show him favor. And what does the Lord do but consume it with fire? He needs nothing. And it is the exact same way with our salvation. We attempt to bring the Lord our best traits, our strengths, our greatest things whatever it is, our best works. But none of those things are going to save us in the end. It is by grace alone. He needs nothing from us. It is when we put our faith in Him. And it is by grace alone that He adopts us into, our, into His family. There's so much to be said in this chapter, but we're going to wrap it up here um, we've only scratched the surface of Gideon the next couple of weeks you'll continue to uh, go further into how the Lord continues to deliver him but ultimately I want you to remember all of this still points to Jesus Jesus is the better judge he is the ultimate judge um, and he 
as Gideon delivered Israel, Jesus has delivered us. And so there are some implications here that I just want to take away. You, me, us, we are all called to repentance of our own belief. We are all called to obedience. And we must never forget the privilege it is that we have to serve the Lord. Secondly, no matter what you think qualifies you or disqualifies you from obedience or service to the Lord, it doesn't matter. Where you are weak, He is strong. Again, where you're afraid, He is bold. And when you are faithless, He is faithful. And finally, all of this is about worship. Our repentance, our obedience, our deliverance, all leads us to worship Him. Every minute of every day, we must remember that He has delivered us ultimately, and He will save us in the end. Seek the Word of God, pray, be discipled, clean your own house, and then disciple others. There's just one more metaphor um, that I want to share that's in, noticed in this text and study. There is uh, a fear that Gideon lives with. Um, and that fear prevents him from believing in his assurance that the Lord has given him that he will be the one to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And it's often the same for us, is that we are aware of eternity and what happens. We're all aware of hell, essentially. And that prevents us, that fear of that, at least I know for me, often pokes at my assurance of my salvation, the assurance of my own deliverance. Brothers and sisters, we have been sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is blessed assurance. And so as you guys can come up, I have uh, three questions that I would like to leave you with this morning. First, is I would ask you what question or what idols in your life need to be torn down? Whether it is a job or it is money or status. I want you to think about what is it that needs to be cleaned out in your own house. Second, is that are you being obedient or are you making excuses? And thirdly, 
Are you worshiping the Lord rightly? As often as you can. Just simply through repentance daily of your own unbelief. Things to think about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Lord, we are so grateful that you have called us, that you have redeemed us. Lord, I just pray this morning as we go from here, Father, that you would be glorified and that you would be worshipped. Lord, that we would repent daily of our own unbelief. Father, that we would repent of our own idol worship and we would understand the privilege it is to serve you. That it's, Father, not a chore, but it is an honor to obey you. Father, we just pray this in your name. Amen.